The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. The Lord in the beauty of holiness by hearing from His Word. Favorite Bibles, I invite you to open them to the book of Galatians, to Galatians chapter 6. Our passage is Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 1. Let's now give our attention to God speaking to us in His Word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This concludes the reading of God's Word. May God now be pleased that his blessing to it by the power of His Spirit. Well, there's a lot of talk about being spiritual in our day. Sometimes it's put in opposition to being religious. Like, I'm not weighed down by liturgy and forms and rules. Rather, I am truly spiritual. I am moved by the Spirit freely and spontaneously. Or, I have obtained the second blessing of the Spirit. Sometimes those who want to be more spiritual do so by saying, I know I would be more spiritual if I received the extraordinary powers of the Spirit. Then there are those who think they are more spiritual because they abstain from certain foods, certain drinks, certain dress, certain activities. But no matter how much abstaining you do, you will never be beat by Simeon the Stylite from the 5th century in what is what I believe one of the most strangest events in church history. He built a pillar at the edge of the Syrian desert and lived on top of it for six years. He thought true spirituality was staying away from from all you unsanctified people, you guys are the issue. If only you, if I can get away from you guys, then I can be spiritual. But not even uh, this was good enough. He ended up making it much higher, going from six feet to sixty feet, and he lived on top of that for thirty years. Try to beat that. 
But it's staying away from people and living in the desert, true spirituality. What is true spirituality? What does it mean to be truly spiritual? Well, in today's passage, Paul explains to us what that is. And it flows out of last week's passage with regard to the fruit of the Spirit and living in accordance with the Spirit. And today we're going to see more specifically how this plays out. Two marks of being truly spiritual. You want to be a truly spiritual person? Here it is. Number one, bear burdens. Number two, do good. It's not alliterated, but you should be able to remember it anyway. If it's truly spiritual, it be alliterated. First, bearing burdens. Going back to verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So again, this flows out of chapter 5 from last week with regards to the fruit of the Spirit, living by the Spirit, staying in step by the Spirit. So being spiritual then is to walk in the Spirit. And this is the opposite of the deeds of the flesh, which included provoking one another and envying one another. Paul says instead of that, here's what a truly spiritual person does. If anyone is caught in any transgression, to restore him. A fleshly conceited person would take an opportunity to see somebody in their sin and say, ah, I'm not so bad after all. This makes me feel better about myself. Or I don't even want to mess with that. That seems like too much work to try to restore somebody. And even to the one being restored, especially in our day, it seems hostile. Well, why would you come talk to me? Just leave me alone and let me figure it out myself. That's the fleshly person. That's a fleshly response. However, what Scripture commands for those who are spiritual is to restore somebody who is caught in sin. Now, to restore is the idea of setting a bone back in place, a bone that's broken, or perhaps if you've ever uh, had your shoulder uh, dislocated or a finger dislocated, it's to help somebody set that back in place. And if that has happened to you, you know that you need help. What you don't need is someone to sit there and point it out and say, wow, would you look at that bone sticking out? Let me take a picture of it and show it with my show it to my friends. Neither do you need someone to say, well, if you weren't such an idiot, you wouldn't have done this and then cause more injury by punching you in the face. Rather, you need a skilled, qualified physician who will carefully and gently restore that bone and put it back where it belongs. Well, this is what a spiritual person is qualified to do. Someone who is walking in accordance with the Spirit. The Spirit has made believers like spiritual physicians who are qualified to do this, who are spiritual MDs who have been given the skill and ability by the Spirit to restore a brother in sin. When we see someone in sin who has fallen into sin, or who has been snagged by sin, caught in sin, then we are to help that person in a gentle manner. Humbly, patiently, kindly, and wisely. 
Have you ever seen a video of you know, a deer caught in a fence and you have a group of men that try to free it, careful to get barbed wire out and, and free it? Obviously, it's not hunting season during that time or letting it go so it gets bigger. Well, that's what the idea is behind helping somebody who is caught in sin. They're snagged on the fence. You carefully, gently, skillfully help them get uncaught. It is not open season on our brothers where we blast them for their sin. Where we stand there and do nothing and just judge them. There's no tag on your brother. Rather, we help them in a gentle, compassionate, wise, and careful manner. And we are to do this in humility, as Paul goes on to say at the end of the verse, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, when we are the ones doing the helping rather than the sinning, pride can really seep in there, can't it? Not only was I not the one who fell into sin, I didn't do that, well, that guy did. I'm the one who's helping. Haha, you need me to help you. Look how more spiritual I am than you. Or I can't believe that person would say and do that. I would certainly never do or say that. I'm just appalled. However, humility not only recognizes that we too are capable of that same sin, except for the grace of God, it also it also causes us to remember the times that we have broken the bubble. We have fallen into sin. That we still struggle. Really, this verse shows us that believers still sin. Believers still get caught in sin, get snagged. And we also need to watch out for temptation ourselves. When we go to a person, believers still sin. So rather than stand around appalled or judgmental, we are to, as Paul says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Rather than standing there and judging, we get down in the ditches with them. We get dirty with them, so to speak. We get our hands dirty. And we help them out of that ditch that they're in. It's so easy to stand there and judge without doing anything. It's like what the Pharisees did with Judas, where they said, see to it yourself. Rather, we are to be involved in helping them. We are not to have a ministry of the law. Think about what the law does. The law points out sin and wrongdoing and judges you for it. This is the right path. You're on the wrong path. You should feel ashamed. Do better. That's a ministry of the law. It doesn't bear burdens. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't bring them out. It doesn't lend any power to bring somebody out of sin. However much different is the law of Christ, as Paul goes on to say. Now, the law of Christ is not a new law that's completely different from the moral law, as if Christ came and said, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, don't need to do that. That's bad. No, it's not replacing the Ten Commandments. Rather, what this, is, what this law of Christ is referring to is an expression of love as revealed in the Gospel, 
as revealed in the work of Christ, and Christ laying down His life to save us from our sins. You see, the law does call us to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But when we fall, when we fail to to keep that law, when we break it, the law then calls for our judgment. The law then calls us to bear our judgment ourselves. It says, see to it yourself. And that's justice. And that's actually good. But praise be to God, with regards to the law of Christ, it says, someone will bear your burden for you. You have violated the law. You deserve to stand before God bearing it by yourself. But someone will bear it for you. And that is what Christ has done. Christ bore our penalty for us. Christ bore the weight of our sin on His shoulders. He stood condemned in our place. And then He also fulfills the law for us. The law that says, do this if you want to live. Keep it perfectly, personally, perpetually, if you want eternal life and want to avoid hell. Do the law perfectly. Christ bore that burden for us. He did it perfectly for us. He has taken care of the whole law for us. He bore our burden. That's the law of Christ. When we emulate that, we emulate that, not by being ministers of the law, see to it yourself. You should be ashamed. Yes, you should be ashamed of your sin. But let me help you, brother. Let me help bear your burdens. Let me come alongside of you. We have that responsibility to do that. As Paul says here. And we see in verses 3-5, through For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So what Paul is referring to here is that when we think we have it all together, we kind of just stand there and judge, see to it yourself, and then think, hey, I'm actually doing pretty good. If we're so focused on what, how others are failing, that is when we think we're something when actually we're not. This is not demonstrating truly spiritual and mature, but actually fleshly and immature. If we don't gently and humbly restore brothers while also realizing our own sin and misery, then we really are nothing. And nothing in the sense of being of no spiritual help. We're not walking by the Spirit in that area. All the while thinking that we're so much better because we don't do the same things as the person who's fallen into sin. Thus, we deceive ourselves. We think we're really something and we're not. But Paul reminds us in verse 4 that we need to instead examine ourselves. This is what he means by test our own work. Stop focusing on others' sin and think about where you're at. And then he says, then he has reason to boast in himself or with respect to himself. Now, why would Paul talk about us boasting in ourselves? Isn't that sin? That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? 
So why would he talk about boasting in ourselves? Well, we have to understand what Paul is doing here, what he's saying here. Paul is not commanding us to boast in ourselves. Rather, Paul is calling us to examine ourselves without comparing ourselves to our neighbor. When we boast in ourselves, it's usually by comparing ourselves to others. Oh, I'm not like that person. I mean, think about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And that's how we boast in ourselves. And Paul says, don't think about others. Rather, examine your own work by God's righteous and holy standard, which is His law. And if, if you can meet that standard, then you can boast. But guess what? How many of us can do that? No, so you see what Paul's doing here. Don't look at your neighbor. Examine yourself. Compare yourself to God's holy word and holy law, and you're going to be found wanting. You're not going to be... Only if you can meet that standard. But you can't. And so there is no reason to boast in ourselves. If we are honest, we fall far short. In fact, this is why our deceitful hearts avoid this and want to compare ourselves to others. Because we want a reason to boast. And Paul says, you take that away, then you really don't have a reason to boast. When we stop comparing ourselves to our neighbor, then we realize we don't measure up. And this is what Paul means by carrying his own load. Because when a man gives an account of himself before God, he can't say, well, you know, John over here, I was better than John. You can't do that. That's what Paul means when he says he will have to carry his own load. You can't look to your neighbor and compare yourself to your neighbor when you stand before God. And this is why Jesus Christ alone is our righteousness before God. This is why Christ took our place in judgment and we stand on the basis of His perfect obedience so that the one who boasts, boasts in whom? The Lord. The Lord. And then we seek to fulfill the law of Christ in bearing one another's burdens rather than refusing to lift a finger while placing heavy burdens on them like the Pharisees did. A second mark of true spirituality is doing good. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul's going to talk about doing good to all people, and he begins here with pastors. He is saying that the one who is taught, which is all of us, including pastors, we're, we're taught, are to share all good things with the one who teaches. That is with pastors and elders. Now, good things doesn't refer to, hey, here's this good thing I, I've been learning, even though that is really encouraging and, and we do want to hear that. But this is referring to material goods, referring to providing for him. And this is actually part of being a, a spiritual person. You know, at Baptist circles today especially, being spiritual is often associated with pastors taking a vow of poverty. I, when I was pastoring in Montana, I heard of pastors working 70 hours a week and only getting paid $20,000 
a year and their family's a mess and then the pastor gets blamed for his family not being in order. I remember attending the Montana Local Association of the Southern Baptist Convention up there. Our church was originally part of that when I first came to the church I was pastoring. And I remember a couple of pastors standing up and boasting that we don't take a salary, we give it all away to the poor. Now at first, that sounds pretty spiritual, right? It sounds more spiritual than the one who has taught the word sharing all goods with the one who teaches, right? That sounds more spiritual, but according to God's word here, that is not the case. It is to share with the one who teaches. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says, but the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, this doesn't mean that instead of showing double honor, instead of applauding, you give a standing ovation or something like that. That, that would be really awkward, more awkward than me talking about this verse right now. One of the things that pa I, pastors hate talking about is this stuff, but I trust that you're spiritual enough to realize that I'm just exposing the Word of God here. But our confession does say in chapter 26, paragraph 10, so as they may have a comfortable supply without being themselves entangled in secular affairs and may also be capable of exercising hospitality towards others. And this is where uh, Pastor Doug and I, who are supported from this church, really want to commend this church. Uh, we do have a comfortable living. Uh, we are able to do uh, our work without being entangled by secular affairs because of the faithfulness of this church. And it would certainly suffer if it wasn't if that wasn't the case. Uh, spending time studying the word uh, takes time. Uh, endless there's endless meetings. Uh, Doug's phone goes off about 500 times a minute, even more than Patrick's. And I was even in the office printing something. I noticed a couple of messages and you know, played them, and it was uh, two separate people, desperate for counseling. Oh, I got to tell you that. You got a couple of messages. But the work just never ends. But um, because of that, and not only can we give our attention to doing what God has, has enabled us to do, but also even in sharing the gospel with others. You know, I think in evangelistic ministry, when we think of one, we tend to think of things like, well, go out and um, kind of cold call somebody, somebody who's never heard the gospel before, right? And then share the gospel with them and go out on the street and meet somebody you've never met before. And that, of course, is a beneficial thing. But I think one area that you don't consider is there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord who are in churches and whose life falls apart. And then they seek help, and we get re and a lot of churches refer uh, them to our counseling ministry here. And Doug sits there and shares the gospel with them, and they come alive. And he's able to do that because of the faithfulness of this church. So we commend you in 
that. And it's interesting to consider uh, where Paul goes from here in verses 7-8. through eight. Uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the principle you reap what you sow is a principle inherent in creation. You sow apple seeds, you're going to get apples. If you thought you sowed apple seeds and you get oranges, you're not going to say, oh, I guess I didn't reap what I sowed. You're going to say, I didn't sow uh, apple seeds. I must have sowed something else. You sow wheat, you'll get wheat, so forth and so on. And the same is true when it comes to how we live. If we sow sin, we will reap the consequences of sin. Here Paul has in the immediate context, providing for the, the one who teaches you the word, the connection here is that when you can give and provide for your own church and even all the ministries and, and missionaries and that sort of thing, supplying for the kingdom of God, if you can do it, but you choose not to, to live for your own flesh, it shows that you really are in love with this world. But what Paul also has in mind is what he said in Galatians chapter 5, where you have the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Now Paul said there in Galatians 5 that those who are characterized by the deeds of the flesh, sexual sin, serving false gods, strife, and surplus such as drunkenness, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are not on their way to heaven. They're on their way to hell, no matter what they profess. Because they have not trusted in Christ, and their life evidences that. But those who have the Spirit evidence the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what Paul says here in this verse about sowing to the flesh and therefore reaping corruption is the same essential thing as those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to reap what you sow. And Paul says, if you, reap, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Now, corruption is like a decaying, rotting body due to death. Well, that concept is brought into spiritual arena, where if you are reaping to the flesh, if you're getting your trespasses and sins, you are like a corpse that is corrupting. You do not evidence yourself to have ever trusted Christ. But every believer who has trusted Christ will show themselves to be saved by good works and the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone united to Christ, every single Christian, is like a flower that's budding. Yes, there's a bunch of weeds and and all sorts of struggles, but it's like a flower budding that is going to go to full bloom in heaven. But we are warned here to walk according to the Spirit and not... The flesh, because God is not mocked. God is not mocked. To say that God is mocked is like saying, what are you going to do about it, God? I'm going to live according to my flesh. What are you going to do about it? Or God doesn't see. God's really not going to call me to account. And that is foolishness. There's no way any of us can mock God And so if you do find yourself dead in sin, you're a slave of sin. You can't stop. The answer is not try harder, do better. 
or resenting people for calling you to this? The answer is to look to Christ. The answer is not try to establish your own righteousness. You just need to try harder. Rather, the answer is, I can't do it. And it's to call on the name of the Lord. And He will deliver you. He promises that He by no means cast out the one who comes to Him. But you need to believe that. You need to turn from your sin and trust in the one who says, when you ask, I will give to you. The one who says, if you ask for bread, I won't give you a stone. I will give my Holy Spirit to the one who asks. And so based on this principle, you reap what you sow. Paul goes on to say in verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So if it's true, you reap what you sow, then let us be encouraged to continue to do good, for we eventually will reap a rich harvest in due time. Now this is not saying that we will secure heaven. Heaven was secured by Christ alone. His merits alone. His righteousness. Rather, this is talking about rewards in heaven, which Christ does speak about. Store it for yourself treasures in heaven. I don't know. We don't know what those rewards are, but I imagine that maybe some of those rewards is seeing the fruit of the labors that God worked in and through us and being encouraged in that. And that's actually why we can grow weary of doing good in this life. Because we don't see the immediate results now, do we? Sometimes we even get evil returned for our good. We get sinned against. We face hardship. We face suffering. We see people sinning all around us. And that can cause us from doing good, especially when those in the church offend us. It can cause us to withdraw. But the God who is not mocked is also the God who says in Hebrews 6 that He is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you continue to do. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as God gives us opportunity in His providence, let us take those opportunities. Let us do good. That is, let us seek to bless and benefit others for their good, for their edification. Let us do good to all people, to our neighbors, unbelieving and believing, grateful and ungrateful, our unbelieving family members. And even though we may, they may reject us in our message, uh, block us on Facebook, uh, let us keep at it, for we will reap a harvest in due time. And let us especially do so to the household of faith, our forever family, with whom we will spend eternity, our very own flesh and blood in the body of Christ, bound together by the Holy Spirit. And so, beloved, because Christ has loved us and done good to us and laid down His life for us, let us then do good, knowing that we have Him waiting for us in heaven, where we will see Him face to face, and we will finally be forever satisfied and at rest in Him. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that You would help us to do good. We ask that You would help us as we 
understand and grasp the gospel and understand what Christ has done for us, that we would apply uh, what we have learned today, that we would follow your word here in bearing burdens, in, in restoring those who are caught in sin, and that if any of us are caught in sin, that we would not reject that as if it's hostile, knowing that the person who comes to us just wants to follow your word in restoring somebody. And may we see that as an act of love. And would you help us to walk not, in a, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? Give us grace and give us help, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.